to the Mystically Curious Podcast, where we'll be talking about the mysterious, mundane, and stuff that's just a little bit weird. I'm going by Grim. And I'm going by Kay. And today we are talking about solitary witchcraft. So originally we were gonna do an episode about practicing when you're in college, but some stuff has happened since we first planned the podcast in our episode schedule. If you were not aware, there is a pandemic, and now a lot of people are forced to stay at home. So that means a lot of people are now observing a solitary practice. So we decided that this episode topic would maybe be a little bit more relevant. So we are both excited to talk about this because we are both solitary practitioners. So Grim and I both have a lot of experience and advice for folks who may be new to working alone. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about the history and the validity of being a solitary worker, and both Grim and I will be giving special focus to our own individual paths. We're also going to be talking about the pros and cons of solitary craft if you want to maybe continue working in that path beyond this. We will also be talking about how you can thrive in a solitary practice and tips for those who may be new or who may find the need to adapt the practices that they have right now. So Grim is going to start and talk a little bit about the history from their perspective as a Norse pagan, which I'm excited to hear about because I know they're very community oriented. Yeah, well, first, as always, I feel like I need to put a disclaimer. I'm not an expert while it's My dream to go to school, to become an expert, I have not yet hit that stage. Um, So there could very well be some errors in what I say. I think that is to say also, do your research. Yes, please do your research. But, you know, a lot of heathenry is very reconstruction-based, which means we try to take as much inspiration. And by we, I say the overall community. I don't necessarily consider myself to be a reconstructionist though I am a heathen, but they try to take as much as possible from the surviving, you know, texts and information that we have about the Viking Age, but we know back then that a lot of it was, you know, tribe-based. There was a, a lot of focus on, you know, honor and doing your part to better your community. There was, you know, kindreds and things like that, uh, kind of an idea of, like, an inner family and, like, an outer family and then, you know, others outside of that. Just to be clear, was your inner family and outer family, were those both still blood relatives or could your inner or outer family also be, like, friends or or other people in the community that maybe weren't necessarily related to you by blood? I would say, from what I know, uh, typically... The innermost family was blood, not because of that specifically, but because it took a certain level of, um, you know, trust and bond, both in in luck, which was a very um, strong concept in heathenry, more than just, you know, finding a penny on the ground. Luck was really communal with your family, um, your kindred, and so you had to make very strong decisions about who you let close enough to affect your luck and for you to affect their luck in turn. So I don't believe it was unheard of by any means for non-blood people, like friends, to be considered kind of part of that. But just 
by the nature of like the bonds needed it wasn't typical by any means i think it also should be said that i don't believe that there was really terms for the whole inner and outer family then it was just kind of like accepted concepts it wasn't like rigid lines uh it was just you know these are the people that are more direct to um, my survival you know they, they typically would live in the household or on the farm directly involved in like the immediate uh survival problems and needs and stuff then there were like the other people who you know um you you had to like work with also to survive in like a grander scheme and then there were just like others that you interacted with maybe but didn't really uh, affect you in any sort of like important way to my knowledge <laughs> but it by very nature of the world they lived in it was very um harsh conditions it was very rugged you had to be tough to survive you had to be strong to survive not just physically um, mentally emotionally and your your bonds had to be strong to survive so it was very community based you'll find in in many many uh cultures that the tougher the landscape typically the more close-knit people have to be for better or for worse it doesn't always breed the healthiest situations but when you have so many obstacles, which I think is good to remember in modern times right now, you have to come together as a community to really overcome um, most of these obstacles together. Yeah, and I think that kind of leads to humans generally being very community-oriented. Mm-hmm. Uh, as, a, as a whole, we're very social creatures. Yes, as much as the American dream has tried to kind of beat that out of us. Um, but I do think there are a lot of people who would say that it's impossible to be a solitary heathen because of what we know about that time, because we know how important survival could be on the bonds in your community. I I can understand where they're coming from. I do think community is very important to heathenry, but I don't think that I'm not a heathen because I don't currently have a kindred. There, I would say well over half of heathens in America, at the very least right now, are solitary either because they don't have people, they don't have other heathens around them, or because the other heathens they do have around them are not people you want to associate with. I even, I mean, I have similar problems as just like a occultist or like Christian occultist, especially because if I hang out with other people who do identify as occultist or witches then they're generally maybe not super into the Christian aspects of my practice, which is very important to my practice. And then if I hang out with Christians, they're super not into the occult part of my practice, which is also essential to my practice. So it's kind of a lose-lose situation for me. I, I feel that. I know there are other Christian occultists out there, but they're kind of hard to come by in real life, at least. Yeah, it, it's definitely hard being, you know, one of the less um, known paths. And even, heathenry isn't, I wouldn't say it's not well known right now. I would say it's well known for the wrong reasons currently, which we're working on changing. But anyways, back on track, by the very nature of our modern day world, a lot of heathens just can't build that community, can't find that community, specifically with other heathens. It's a whole other thing. A lot of people are able to build similar communities with people who aren't heathen, 
which I 100% believe that you can form bonds strong enough for people who aren't, who aren't heathens to bind yourself to them in a way that would kind of fit this meaning. Like us. No, I'm kidding. I don't think we're... <laughs> Love you, Kay, but like that is that is some life bond shit. Yeah, no, I'm kidding. I, yeah. Um, it's definitely not common um, to just build those bonds enough to um, have enough people to really have a kindred outside of heathen specifically. And furthermore, for me personally, because I am a Lokian, the tides are turning a little bit now, but when I um, originally was kind of coming into my practice, Lokians were not welcome anywhere, even in spaces that weren't necessarily the normal places you would avoid. There were, there were plenty of heathens I talked to that I don't think were uh, white supremacists, they weren't bigots, but they still had very strong prejudice against Loki and therefore me, which is not, it's not excusing them that they weren't bigoted in other ways. I just don't think that those correlated. So being a Lokian was, was further isolating and damaging, I would actually say too, a lot of my experiences kind of made me very hesitant about interacting even with other heathens that aren't, you know, necessarily like like I said before, the stereotypical ones that you would avoid. So how I kind of wrap my head around being a solitary heathen is to me heathenry is it is a religion, but mostly it is my lifestyle. I would say more than anything else in my life, heathenry has really influenced my morals, my values, you know. I do place a lot of importance on um, community growing, and while I can't do that with heathens currently, I do try to put a lot of effort into growing my community in my other spaces, um, like Kano's. I'm trying my best to help grow um, the LGBT space on campus. I'm trying to, you know, always grow so that I can add more to community growth, you know, trying to uh, learn how to build structures so that someday, you know, I can help with that. Trying to garden so that someday I can maybe provide food to my community. And I think we're trying to kind of build a community through this podcast as well, to an extent, even though, yeah, even though it's an online community, Absolutely. I think that, and we'll get into this as well, I think that connecting in online communities, especially now, is very important. A hundred percent, we're trying to build a community because, as I said before, you know, the heathen community, with me being a low-key, was not very welcoming, so, and again, that has changed so much in recent years. Like, it's it's mind-blowing, honestly, to see kind of the progress we've made. A while back, there was this whole article against Loki, um, well, worship of Loki, and the backlash against that was just, it was uh, amazing, honestly. Like, it blew my mind, the fact that we've come far enough where people were defending that, people who were not Lokian, because it used to just be us going to bat for him. But... In the beginning, the general pagan community and the witchcraft community, anyone kind of curious in that space, you know, mystically curious, if you will, (laughs) they were really much more welcoming into their spaces for me. And so I've struggled a lot trying to grow my heathen practice on my own um, because I didn't really have anyone else to talk with. Kind of had to find things out on my own, 
whereas the other communities I've been part of have been very welcoming. So I definitely think building community right now is important. While I would love to be part of a kindred, and I think it would really help me grow, I definitely want to make sure that I, as a person, am in a place where I can help them grow, where I can offer them something, or at least be on my way to being of value to them, because it's very important to focus on adding with whatever your strengths are to the cohesive whole of the community. Quick side note about solitary heathenry before we pass over to Kay. I this is to you, Kay. I just found out earlier when I was doing research for this episode that I need to find a used copy, because I don't want to give her any money, of Galina Kraskova's book, Northern Tradition for the Solitary Practitioner. While that author is very problematic for reasons we can get into in a whole nother podcast, I was reading reviews of this book, <laughs> and, um, this one review, it was this whole long thing about, <laughs> the author says we should honor the, the dark gods, I kept saying the dark gods, I hate that term, um, and, you know, it was just talking trash about worshipping these gods, and, but here's the quote that got me, the, this is literally taken straight from the review, this book carries on a love affair with Loki, and uses the mindset of, just because we can't find proof people did this, doesn't mean they didn't. Just for that alone, I feel like I need to get this book, again, somehow without giving her any money. Maybe I should recommend this. I'm gonna do it anyway. You, It's very, very easy to find PDFs of books, particularly occult books and, like, magic and witchcraft books, on the internet. I'm not gonna, like, post my links publicly, but check, like, scribed or scribbed. I don't know how to pronounce it. It's scribed, right? I've always called it scribbed, but it might scribbed. be scribed, actually. That that might make more sense, but I love that app. <laughs> this particular one is not on there, but some of her others are. Yeah, there's there's other websites you can check, too. It's, it's very easy to find a lot of these popular authors and books. Well, and just to clarify to any listeners, I'm not recommending this book. I am not recommending this author under any circumstances. As I mentioned, it's problematic. I think you can say, read this book critically. If you want to read this book, read it after you read the reviews. Not just on, like, Amazon, but, like, go actually read critiques of this book so you know what you're getting yourself into. Yeah. I haven't read this particular one. I've read others of this author, and... As with a lot of um, our material, it tends to be just kind of like Christianity bent. But not in the fun, sexy way I do it. <laughs> no, no, no. In the very much, here, here's your heathenry practice, except it's just a weird blend of like Catholicism and Christianity with like, I don't know, more gods involved. It, I'm not a fan. <laughs> a lot of people aren't. Um, we'll probably do a whole other episode on problematic people. But. Not recommending this book, but I need to hear about a love affair with Loki. Are we gonna do an episode on problematic faves? Yes. Because <laughs> God is my boy the number one. <laughs> uh, on that note about problematic faves, I'm gonna talk about the Capital C Church now. Uh, I don't know if I would call him a fave. <laughs> not a fave, I know, not, not a fave, just problematic without the fave part. 
Like, I'm getting to the place where I can handle, like, church, but capital C church? Probably not. So, there's a very long history, unlike heathenry, of people practicing the grimoire tradition and kind of traditional witchcraft and magic in a solitary environment. In fact, I would say it was encouraged more often than not. Necessary, even. Yeah, it was encouraged, and it was, in fact, necessary for a lot of practitioners. A lot of the work is recommended to be done in secret, or not recommended, but required to be done in secret. There are so many examples of spells or rituals where they say, you know, go to this graveyard at night and bury this there and walk around a church three times and go home and don't tell anybody what you've done. Like, very specifically, like, that's the last rule. It's and don't tell anyone. It's kind of in the same way, I think, when you make a birthday wish or something and you're not supposed to tell anyone what you wished for or else it won't come true, supposedly. Mm -hmm. But back to, that's a little bit more practicing in secret and practicing in solitude is a little bit of a different thing. I think it's similar. I think there's crossover between practicing in secret and practicing in solitude. I would agree, because you practice in secret. You have to, by necessary, of your family. Whereas, I'm solitude. Like, I'm not, like, out and proud with my family. Like, I haven't told them about this podcast. (laughs) But, like, my mom has found previous devotional, like, letters to Loki and things like that. She knows that I am different. So, yeah, so when it comes to practicing in solitude in the grimoire tradition, like I said, there are some that prescribe practicing in secret. There are some that prescribe practicing with other people. Usually they're called disciples or something. But again, that's not ever required. I actually found, I believe it's in the Key of Solomon, actually, where... They say, well, you get you and your disciple, which can be another person, or it can be a child, or it can be a dog. There are directions for exercising a dog to be your companion in your uh, spirit summoning activities. (laughs) And that's like, I don't know, that's, that's still solitary, I would say. Alongside that, uh... I think there's also a certain mystical element to solitude. A lot of the people who were writing the grimoires were mystics. They were oftentimes clergy, and because of the world that they lived in, they didn't have a lot to do other than sit around and contemplate the mysteries and think about God and like magic and weird stuff. By having, you know, this element of solitude, they were able to induce these more and more unique experiences. For one example of this would be a very influential grimoire called The Sacred Magic of Abramel and the Mage. This ritual influenced basically like everyone in the ceremonial magic tradition, ranging from Mathers and Crowley and more people who claim to have done it. It is a, depending on the translation you have, It's either a six-month or an 18-month ritual. A year and a day who? Yeah, a year and a day who? 18 months? It it prescribes increasing amounts of solitude. So, you know, for the first 
trimester of your uh, ritual, you're supposed to slowly... I'm sorry, if a ritual is long enough to use pregnancy terms, it is so much! Well, it's the, the, instead of quarter, it's the first third of it, the first trimester. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so the, the first couple of months, it can either be the first six months or the first two months, again, depending on if you're following the six or 18 month ritual. It's like signing a lease. Yeah, it's, it's a big operation. One month or the rest of your life. (laughs) Well, it really is supposed to affect your entire life, but that being said, it it just prescribes increasing periods of solitude so that at the very end, you're, like, not even supposed to be going to work. People who do it today, which very few people actually perform the ritual today because it's difficult to get time off work for that sort of thing. So right now, perfect time! Exactly! I was gonna say, I... Technically, I believe you're supposed to be between the ages of 25 and 50 or 55. There's there's an age range that you're supposed to be in to do it, but I'm considering breaking some rules. I don't know if that's advised with your practice, but do you want to do a mini-sode on this? Oh, we could do a whole episode on this, dude. Well, but I mean, like, something we could whip out real quick so that people could, like, get started on it while they still... Technically, you're also supposed to study the grimoire for six months before you begin, regardless of if you're doing the six-month or 18-month one. Just because there's a lot in it. You're supposed to construct basically like a mini temple inside your house, and you're supposed to acquire like linen garments. There's there's a lot um, involved in it. But the, the point being, even though a lot of us are still involved in online communities, whether those are magical or if it's just like us talking to our friends on Facebook or whatever, even at the very end of this, people who are performing the ritual today, they like disconnect from the internet for the last period of the ritual, so it's a very intense type of solitude. And imagery of solitude is also replicated in the tarot as well, with the hermit literally being a hermit, like <laughs> the the image of engaging in periods of solitude for the purpose of reaching some sort of greater enlightenment is extremely common. And outside of the Western tradition as well, this is like a thing in India, the monks there have long periods of solitude as well. I'm not as familiar with that tradition, so I don't want to speak on it out of turn, but I know there's also a practice where a monk will go into a very small room the size of like a closet and he'll live there for a period of time and someone will slide him food under the door and that's about it. So it's it's a very powerful tool, I think, and I'm for better or for worse, I think trying to look forward to this period of time where I can be alone for, for long periods and seeing if I can use that to my advantage. I That all is to say that there's a very long tradition of solitude and practicing alone being a good thing and an encouraged thing in the grimoire tradition and the greater like Western esoteric tradition as a whole. Which is not to say... 
that if you are currently being forced to practice solitary, it's not valid to be upset about that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. If I was in a, like, vibrant community prior to this, I'd probably be very upset, but I wasn't in, like, a vibrant... I mean, I was... I had friends and stuff, but, I mean, specifically from the the viewpoint of, like, magic, I did not really have anyone in my life who I was practicing with in that sort of a way. So on that note, I'm gonna hand it over to Grim, and they're gonna talk a little bit about some pros of working as a solitary witch at this time. Alright, so, well, the pro is you can still practice. You, I'm not going to advise that anyone not practice solitary witchcraft right now. Yeah, I think we can be grateful that for the most part a lot of practices can be done alone. So, there are definitely some strong pros. I think for being solitary, even even if it's just temporary, it really gives you a lot of flexibility and personal freedom um, to kind of choose your own path and like how you work with your different deities and stuff like that. Of course, there are some religions where a lot of people don't like that kind of flexibility. Or I think it's just not for everyone sometimes as well. Exactly. I know that there were times when I would have really appreciated some sort of guidance from another like person above me who had walked the same path that I walked. Ooh, I you don't even understand how much I feel that because all of what we have, even the stuff that is older is like through a Christian lens. Everything that we have is kind of guesswork. So like it can definitely be a struggle if you're not used to it. But what I found with my own personal practice is it's really given me a space to kind of learn more about myself and really figure out what's important to me. If I had had a kindred to practice with right from the beginning, I don't know that I would feel as strong in my convictions and like in, as strong in myself as I currently do. You know, I don't know that I would have been forced to really sit down and be like, okay, what do I value? I value community. Okay, well, I can't have this community. How else can I represent that value in my life? I would have never had that discussion. So I would have never taken the steps to better myself for my general community. Yeah. So it's it's definitely sucked a lot. But I think in the end, it's definitely made me stronger in my faith, in my conviction, and in me as a person. Yeah, I, I feel that. I feel very similarly that if I were to have rushed out and joined a coven or something, then I would not have... My practice would look totally different. Yeah, and it it's a trade-off thing because I definitely would have gained a lot of things from having that kind of support and community. I can't necessarily say that my practice wouldn't be better if I had not had to be a solitary practitioner all this time, but... You can go crazy all day long thinking about what ifs, you know, what if I take this different path? What if I work with this different god? What if I did this different spell? What if I did this spell on a different day and that's why it didn't work? All you can really do is focus on what you have now and pray that the fates are aligned for you or that you're strong enough to get through it if it's not. Um, which I think really fits the current times because, you know, there's not a whole lot that we can all do to fix the main problem here, but we can really just focus on what we have and what we can work with right now. So it does suck if you're forced to be a solitary practitioner now, and we would never invalidate those feelings. It's 100% okay to be upset with this, 
but I hope that you can also focus on using this as a time to grow, a time to really be still if you're used to constant motion, or if you're used to constantly being stagnant, maybe because you have worked constantly and you don't have time to work on your spiritual aspects, your other aspects. Take it as a time to get into action. I've struggled because of my schedule and just my own mental health with, you know, having a consistent practice for a long time. I'm really trying to take this time to really schedule things out. I'm going to do certain rituals at certain days, which is normally more uh, Kay's wheelhouse. <laughs> if you need any tips with that, let me know. I don't, just general how to not procrastinate my life tips, which I've heard all of them. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm really trying to take this time to challenge myself to do better, um, to really deepen and grow through this. So, I think that's kind of like a potential silver lining in this whole dark time. Yeah, definitely. And there are some things to consciously avoid and work against as well when you're coming into this new period of being a solitary practitioner. One of those is, of course, procrastinating and being unfocused. I do think it should be said, though, this is, regardless of what you decide to do, whether you decide to ramp up your practice or do some personal growth, whatever, do give the best of what you can give each day, not necessarily the best you've always given. Because I definitely... Think it's important to respect um, mental health because I know it's sad truth, but a lot of our current society deals with mental illness as much as we would like to try to mask that. I think it's very important to acknowledge that fact that a lot of us are in this together. A lot of us should be understanding. So don't beat yourself up if you can't get up to do that super dedicated ritual that you wanted to do every other single day. You know what? If it's that important to you, get up. And do it the next time it comes around. Or have compassion for yourself and realize that perhaps there's something else that you can do that is a better way for you to get whatever point or message you're trying to get across. Whether, you know, it's worship, it's an offering. And at the end of the day, still, you still need to have self-compassion to just take a break if that's necessary. Yeah, I think that's a really good point and it kind of leads into maybe things to watch out for in a solitary practice. And one of those, the first thing is procrastinating and feeling unfocused. But that being said, kind of to your point, oftentimes if you are procrastinating something or feel unfocused, it may be your brain's roundabout way of saying, I'm not ready to do this right now. So there's nothing wrong with taking a step back. Like, for example, I today, literally earlier today, I was like, I'm going to restart or resume my meditation practice because it had been weeks, honestly, since I had meditated. I've been meaning to start one. Yeah, so I have a book that I'll send you. <laughs> so I was like, I woke up and I decided, okay, I'm going to do this. But first I need to get out of bed and I need to go like wash my face, do my morning routine. So I did my morning routine and then I decided, okay, actually I'm going to go get breakfast first. So I got breakfast first and then I went and like sat on my couch and scrolled through Tumblr for like 30 minutes. And then I decided, okay, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go upstairs. I'm going to meditate. Then I got upstairs and I decided "Eh, first actually I'm going to clean my room and I was still doing things, but I was very consciously putting it off. Yes. And I kept 
I let myself, like, I knowingly said, okay, I obviously don't want to do this right now, so I'm not going to. I'm just going to kind of let myself keep cleaning my room. I'm going to do whatever I need to do. But when I'm done doing whatever I'm doing, then I'm going to meditate. And I think it was a good way. I didn't feel bad about procrastinating. I kind of accepted it, but I still put a time limit on it. I was like, I'm going to procrastinate this specifically until like noon or, or whatever. Even though I planned on waking up and meditating first thing in the morning, I still kind of allowed myself a little bit of that grace. So that being said, it can be difficult to motivate yourself even to do magic, especially if you have a more involved practice and meditation isn't really magic. So that's not, <laughs> that's a very small example. So I think that every person is different. And you know, if you are a chronic procrastinator, then you'll probably have some tips or ideas about what you can do to fend that off. And one of those is scheduling. Pretty much any mundane tip to prevent procrastinating can be applied in this area of your life as well. Also though, less mundane, um, I've kind of been struggling with this myself. And something that I like to remind myself of when I feel myself getting unmotivated and unproductive and it's not directly related to another cause like stress in my life I try to remind myself of my gods and kind of take inspiration from them a lot of my gods pretty badass not all Norse people were vikings but there's a large reason why that is what they are most remembered for they were a strong people who had to face strong obstacles and overcome them consistently so if my spiritual ancestors can deal with that can live in those harsh conditions i can buck up and wake up at a certain time so that i can take care of myself and work out and dedicate that workout to my gods or so that i can get up and i can do an in-depth prayer to my gods to kind of hold them in my space throughout the day like my ancestors have been through so much it's important for me to remember that like I can also do that I feel that because I don't know literally I would have absolutely been unironically burned at the stake <laughs> like 400 years ago or 500 years ago so I think I can kind of take inspiration from that as well where I'm like I can enjoy the fact that the worst thing that will happen to me maybe is like an awkward conversation right which i mean there are a lot of people who still face very dangerous consequences because of their faith currently oh of course absolutely that being said it's it's important also to avoid creating an echo chamber kind of since you're practice during this time and your learning is more or less entirely self-guided it's super easy to read only about people like you or read only about your one specific path or read only authors that you already agree with but i've found that reading about paths other than your own can be really eye-opening because even if it's not something that you're ever going to practice i feel like it can still mm -hmm. inform you about what people were doing you know in in the past because there's a reason why they were doing it <laughs> and that can inform your own path or it can just be something interesting and new to learn 
And I feel like if you're only reading stuff that you already know, then it's difficult for you to progress. You're not really learning anything. You're just kind of getting the same information again. See, I haven't really so much had this particular issue in my practice because my brand of heathenry seems to be somewhat different from the majority. So I haven't really had a problem with running into only people who think um, and agree exactly with me. I have found a problem where I have talked to and read everything by the small amount of people who are fairly close to my practice to the point where like, I'm like, all right, I already read the three books. Can I please have some more? (laughs) Yeah, I feel that. And also I want to add a stipulation as well. Like you don't have to read stuff you disagree with if you're not in the headspace for that. Oh, for sure not. Like I'm not telling you don't go like trigger yourself just because you feel like it. I don't know. Don't do that. But I don't know. It's I, I just find value in that because it helps me struggle and think more about why I believe what I believe or why I do what I do. I also think it can, like, yeah, like you said, lead to some really um, valuable self-analysis. For example, um, last night when I was reaching or researching Persephone, I, I had that moment where I was reading about, like, the different uh, traditions about authorings and stuff, and it, it like, really made me sit back and kind of analyze part of my practice that I'd never really analyzed from that viewpoint before. Now I feel like it's something I'm really going to keep in mind for future going with any offerings to anybody is kind of, you know, doing a little bit more research, you know, thinking about uh, the different possibilities and contexts and stuff like that now. So I did half an hour of research last night and found something that I wouldn't say shifted my practice, but it's definitely like shined a lot new light onto mine and another practice so i hold great value in that alone yeah we're definitely going to do another episode in the very near future probably about syncretic practices or eclectic practices and maybe adapting practices that are different from your own and how to approach those if you're considering them that being said kind of on that same train of thought Whenever you are doing solitary practices, you have to be wary that some things actually just can't be solitary. There are some traditions that require group initiations or group work, but other traditions do have self-initiation rituals or uh, kind of adapted group working rituals. And like Grimm was saying, even if something does traditionally require or encourage community, then you know, there may be different practices in the reconstruction. So one example of this would be a tradition that has a ritual adapted from group workings to a solo context would be Thelema, which has a Mass of the Phoenix rite, which is basically a simplified solo version of the Gnostic Mass. It's something that you can perform by yourself and not have to have an actual like priest there or anything. So there are some, you know, rituals or things that you can do by yourself, but again, it just comes down to researching and knowing the tradition that you're working within. Right. For my practice, ooh, don't yell at me if I don't pronounce this right, internet, but blot, 
Blots, other people might recognize him as, but I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be Blots. <laughs> Not native to my language, I'm sorry. <laughs> but those are generally very much a uh, community kindred thing. It's supposed to be very select people, very close people, but I haven't really heard of anyone really doing solitary Blots. I'm going to try to figure out if I can, but... I'm going to do the research first to, like, make sure that I can. I'm not just going to be like, well, screw to tradition, and I'm just going to make it work for me. I'm going to look at why it's always been a community thing, why it's always involved other people, see if I can find, you know, reasons or substitutions or things like that to make it work for me. If I can't, I will find another ritual. I will make my own ritual, if need be, to kind of replace what a bloat would serve in my practice, I'm not just going to f- force a square peg into a circular hole. <laughs> I'm maybe going to see if I can shave down the square peg, but if it turns out that it's not wood, I can't shave it, it's iron, then I'm not going to try to like get crazy. I'm just going to go find a circular peg. Or make your own circular peg if you must. <laughs> or make my own. Trying to learn woodworking. It's a very valuable skill in today's world. Yes. That being said, do we want to move into some tips for new solitary practitioners? Because I feel like we've talked about some very big overarching concepts and ideas, but let's maybe talk about some more concrete things that people can go ahead and start implementing. Right. Tip number one. This is the most important tip. Okay. This is what will single-handedly get you through this quarantine phase. I don't know about that. Listen to the (laughs) Mystically Curious podcast. (laughs) Okay, okay. Okay, completely kidding. I mean, please listen to us, but we should not be your solitary contact. If you've listened this far, then you're already in for, for the ride, I think. And we appreciate you so dearly. But find online communities. We are part of that. You know, we're still building our community, but we would absolutely love for each and every one of you to be part of that. Find other communities, you know, there are a lot of dangerous communities on Tumblr, but there are some really great ones as well. There are some on Facebook, there are some on Instagram. We are doing our best to, you know, connect with other parts of our community so that we can really uh, support each other through these times. Also, always be learning something new. We can help with that too. (laughs) But you know, there are so many great resources now. There's free PDFs online. There are a lot of people who are feeling a lot safer currently about talking about their practice. You know, it's, it's much easier for some practices now to find another person to kind of, if not mentor with, then at the very least, you know, converse with and learn with together. At the end of the day, at the very least, my practice has taught me is that actions speak louder than words. It would be so great if I woke up every day and said a prayer to my gods and I poured out these fancy little alcohols every night for my gods and it would be just so great if I could buy all these fancy statues for them, for their altars. But what I really believe that my gods would value more is me taking the time to stand on my own more, you know, working on my physical health, working on my spiritual health. You know, those are just things that my gods put focus on. So, 
in order to respect my gods, I'm going to put forth actions that show that, you know, I'm going to take the time to do specific things that reflect what my gods, you know, value. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's a really good point, for sure. And that being said, I've also found it very helpful, for me at least, to set up a daily or at least weekly routine. So I think I talked about in my episode, I talked about a daily routine that I had at one point, but it's been a long time since that episode. <laughs> uh, my my ability to keep up with that has... it comes and goes. So that's a routine that I know I can implement, but I know not everybody necessarily has the same types of practices. So maybe you just say, well, you know, I like to pray every day before I go to bed or every day when I wake up. But maybe you also say, okay, well, I do a spell and enchant my tea in the morning before I drink it or something. So it's just ways that you can implement magic in your everyday life. Think about those kind of daily practices that you can do. If you guys uh, would kind of like a a follow-along guide on building this, I'm currently in the progress of building my own routine from scratch. Never really had one. So if you guys are interested, I could maybe post on our Instagram kind of my progress in figuring out what things work for me, what things don't, maybe some tips on being consistent, things like that. So let us know if you want to see that kind of content, please. Yes, I think that would be really cool. Um, Kind of on an additional note there, alongside your daily or weekly routine, I've also found it helpful to decide what days you're going to be observing, if you're observing any sort of special days, and what you're going to do on those days if anything. So one super common example of that would be the moon cycle. So we're now releasing our episodes in accordance with the moon cycle. Every full moon and every new moon, we're dropping our episode, which is really cool. I don't at this time have a practice for the moon cycle, but I know that's a super popular thing. I'm starting one kind of. It's my plan to do a deep for lack of a better word, ritual for Persephone, ideally, on the new moons. Very cool. Um, Yeah, so, yeah, and that's the thing, like, you're saying I'm going to do a deep ritual, and then, like, who it's for, and I'm sure you're also in the process of figuring out exactly what it is, but I find that if you're planning on observing something in advance, it's best to figure out the exact details of it in advance as well, because I find myself all the time like, it's a new moon, what do I do? And I mm-hmm. end up not doing anything because I'm like, I'm going to observe the new moon. And then I observe the fact that it's a new moon, but I don't actually do anything for it. Well, something that I found really useful for that earlier in my years into this practice um is journaling or building you know a book of shadows building a grimoire whatever sort of written kind of tracking of your practice that you do you know it's great to just like write things down as you learn them and then you can have them on hand like you have that knowledge you've done the research you wrote down in your journal this detailed new moon ritual okay you have this knowledge of what you need now Okay, so you go, after you write that, you know, in your journal, you pull up your phone or your computer 
or you know whatever sort of thing that you have this year's almanac if you have it i really for some reason i feel like i need an almanac that just seems like a witchy thing to have look up the moon cycles you know finish writing that journal about the new moon ritual look up the moon cycles write down the bottom of, of that thing the rest of the new moons for the year put them in your calendar put them in your planner wherever you have them if you're really disorganized like me put a reminder in your calendar like four days before the new moon hey go get what you need yeah we'll probably do a whole episode series on moon magic and lunar cycles and stuff oh for sure because alongside just the moon cycles you don't have to even observe those specifically for example i'm also observing wednesdays because that is associated with Mercury, which is kind of the sphere of Archangel Raphael, who is a angel who's very focused on healing and medicine. So I'm trying to kind of bring more of that energy into my life at this time. Well, I'm, I was also um, toying with the idea of doing a weekly ritual for Loki on Friday as well. Hmm. Like I said, I've got things in the works. I don't know how it's all going to play out. This might be completely the wrong path for me. We'll see. We're going to figure it out. You've been at it for a while, though. Yeah. It's just like the structured routine is what I'm, I'm thinking of. I see. It's not for everyone because I think I'm very into the level of structure that I have, specifically because this is getting deep. It was absent in my life in my childhood Mm -hmm. because I did not go to a public school. I did not, like in my church as well, it was not very ritualized. I was like raised Protestant, so we did not have the same level of ceremony present in other churches. And I feel like that's just something that I crave and desire. I know this because I joined a new Discord server the other day and I went to their rules channel And there was a list of rules a mile long, and my heart soared. I was so happy to see all these rules. (laughs) So I think that just, it helps me, because I, it helps my anxiety, because I know what I'm supposed to do. It's like, what's, what, how does this go? What is it supposed to look like? And then there's all these rules, and I say, oh yes, this is what it's supposed to look like. Right, I think, what's frustrating for me is that I think I would do really well, also with a lot of structure and routine. It's just a matter of my life situation being conducive to that. But uh, where I was kind of going with the journaling new moon thing is like, just real quick back to the always be learning something. It can be hard sometimes to know what to do with everything that you learn. So this can be a great time to dedicate time, put it into your routine, time to work on your book of shadows or your grimoire or your journal, you know, put A timer on your phone, 15 minutes, okay? You can sketch out some rough pages. It doesn't have to be pretty unless that's something that you're really passionate about, but it's not something we're stressing over. Just 15 minutes, write down, you know, all the correspondences for this one god. Or start a series, like do a different tarot card per day, different rune per day. Take this time to build your physical practice as well as building it spiritually. Because that can really help when you are farther down the line to go back. And it'll also help you remember things going forward. Oh yeah, I have a journal that I started when I started. And I've been lazy about 
keeping it up now, but it's really inspiring for me to look back and see what I was doing a year ago. Because a year ago, never mind, I'm not going to get into what I was doing a year ago, but it was a lot. And I'm like, I'm trying to bring more of that energy because it helps me remember. I'm like, oh yeah, I was out here killing it and doing these big elaborate rituals while my parents are sleeping the room over. <laughs> like, I can do that. I can do it. So, I don't know. I think that's a wonderful note to end on. Grim, do you have anything else you'd like to add for new solitary witches listening? Don't give up. Even if none of this applies to you, even if you are in a practice where you have to have community, you can't, you know, move online, you can't do any of these things, like, you literally cannot practice right now, don't give up, okay? You'll figure something out, because if there's one thing that we've learned about all these different practices, is that they find ways to survive, and they find ways to adapt. It's not always comfortable. I wouldn't think that any of us are very comfortable right now, but it's not worth just giving up your practice for good if you can't practice right now. Yeah, I think that we still have a lot to look forward to. The situation that we have right now isn't one that we're going to have forever. We don't know how long it will be like this, but, you know, we can persevere and carry on and eventually we'll we'll all be back to where we once were. I'm singing the block parade now. Thanks. <laughs> that is a perfect note, I think, to end this on. Yes, thank you everyone for listening, and we will see you on the next full moon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mystically Curious podcast. We are always excited to hear from listeners, so if you have any comments, questions, or feedback about the episode, please contact us at mysticallycurious at gmail.com. You can also message us or comment on our social media which is at the MC pod across all platforms. If you want to help expand our community, please consider reviewing us on iTunes. Once again, thank you for listening, and we look forward to continuing our journey with you.